welcome to Awaken Podcast. I hope you enjoy the teaching. Alrighty, friends. Okay. Woo. Well, if nothing else, we've gotten you guys to maybe change the seats that you normally sit in. Did you guys know that there's, a, there's like a psychological term about this where temporary ownership, people that come to places and they always sit in the same, same seat, when you move them around, it makes them anxious? Do you feel anxious? Yeah. Okay, good. Um, so my name's Micah, like I said, and uh, I'm the lead pastor here at Awaken. A couple of things I want to let you know about that weren't in community life that are happening um, one is December the uh, 16th, my friends, December 16th, you're going to want to put this one on your calendars, uh, the one John Mark Nelson and Sarah Groves will be uh, hosting a Christmas show right here at Awaken on December 16th, everybody. So yeah, you'll want to pay attention this week, in the Awaken Weekly there will be a link to tickets. Uh, we have every reason to believe this will be a sold out show, and so we're going to release that information to you all first. Because uh, we're hosting it, right? That's one of the perks of hosting. So uh, this week in the Awaken Weekly, that link will be there for the tickets that you can purchase. And so if you don't get the Awaken Weekly, this is also a great reason for you to sign up for that. Uh, and then uh, we'll announce that again next week, and that information will be available. And then it will go out to the world, to all of John and Sarah's fans, and um, we think it's going to be full. So um, please sign up for that. Tickets will be, uh, there's three options on that one. We got a VIP option. We got a VIP option, which includes a little host uh, at the art house uh, with the artist, Q&A with the artist, maybe a little acoustic set beforehand. Um, I, uh, it's a big deal. It's a big deal. And then some reserved seats, which will be down here in the front, and then general admission will be in the pews. So there's ticket options and, and, and that. So that's going to be great. The other thing I want to let you know about in terms of events that are happening is my friend Steve Weens, who some of you know and have met, he's preached here at Awaken, he's hosting an event here on November the 12th uh, called Genderful. Uh, it's with a gal named Erin Lane. Uh, the two of them are hosting this event, and essentially they're exploring the genderful nature of God. So not that God exists as male or as female, but all that is masculine and feminine exists somehow in the being of God. So they're going to explore that idea for, uh, like a one-day conference. That's happening here, uh, November 12th. So um, if you're interested in that, steveweens.com, W-I-E-N-S, W-I-E-N-S, Steve Weens. Um, and then, um, last but not least, uh, this week there are studies happening at Awaken. There's one tonight. There's one on Wednesday morning. And the last time we did the morning one, nobody came. So if you're planning on going to the Wednesday morning one, please um, know that that's happening this week. Otherwise, we're not going to keep having a teacher show up for nobody to study with, right? That's, so if you're going, that's happening this week. Pay attention. And then there's another one on Wednesday night. Okay, friends, this is big news. 519 runners, 800,000, over $800,000 and 16,000 kids with free, or not free, clean water because of World Vision's efforts last weekend at the Twin Cities Marathon. Can you believe that? That's freaking awesome. Unreal. And Awaken had, Awaken had a whole bunch of runners as well, so over 500 World Vision runners. There was orange jerseys everywhere uh, at, the, at the marathon last week, so that's very, very exciting stuff. Very cool. So proud of you who finished and uh, who, who set out to, to run that race. Well done. So we're in a series called Wells and Fences. Uh, this is why there's a fence and a well in the back here. You guys get the nice water effect back here. Um, and, and so we've been looking at this idea of a bounded set and a centered set community. Uh, a bounded set, the question that matters most is, do you believe what we believe? 
Uh, rather, uh, or on the other side, in a centered set, the question that matters most is uh, what's in the center, or are you thirsty? And so exploring this idea of what does it mean to be a centered set community that says that the life and teachings and resurrection of Jesus is in the center. That's the well that we draw from. And so we're looking at these affirmations in the covenant denomination that we're a part of. Today we'll explore the fourth one, which is the church as a fellowship of believers, which is why you are in the round. What does it mean to say that the church, the body of Christ, the people of God in the world, is a fellowship of believers? What does that mean? So we've looked at the centrality of scriptures, the necessity for new birth, uh, dependence on the Holy Spirit, and now today the church as a fellowship of believers. So if you would, please stand and turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2, starting in verse 9. There are pew Bibles, uh, black ones there if you want to follow along. 1 Peter 2, starting in verse 9, it says this, But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are a people. You are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Pray with me. God, today as we gather as your church, uh, we ask that you would be present to us in ways that we can see you and hear you and sense you. I pray, God, that as we explore this idea of this fellowship of believers, this priesthood of believers, that you would instill in us and remind us of who you've called us to be, this group of people called the church. So Holy Spirit, open our eyes, we pray. In the strong name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen. You may be seated. So here's what I want to do today. I want to track this idea of this priesthood of believers in the scriptures. Where does it come from? Um, what do priests do in the Bible? What's their function? What's their role? And then I want to look at why is it important in the, in the world that we live in. In 2016, in the world we live in, what does this even mean? And, and is, is it important? And then lastly, what it means to say that we affirm this idea as the fellowship of believers. So, why is it important to say that the church, the people of God, are a fellowship of believers? You could say it differently maybe with a question. What other options do we have? Or what other options have we seen? How have we seen God's people played out in the scriptures? Why does Peter seem so intent on calling this group of people, the, the church, Jesus' followers, a priesthood of believers or a holy nation? This idea of a fellowship of believers seems to include everyone. And this idea of calling the, and as does this idea of calling the church a royal priesthood, things that he says. So, a couple of questions as we begin. What does a priest do? And where does it come from? Where do we see it first in the scriptures? So if you have your Bibles, uh, I invite you to go back to Exodus chapter 19. This is, of course, at the beginning of the story, and the people of God are just starting to form. Exodus chapter 19, they have made their way out of Egypt, and uh, we've got a guy named Moses leading them. And so this is what God says to them at Mount Sinai through Moses the prophet. On the first day of the third month after the Israelites left Egypt, on that very day, they came to the desert of Sinai. After that, they set out from Rephidim. They, en they entered the desert of Sinai, and Israel camped there in the desert in front of the mountain. Then Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, This is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob, what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt, 
how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. So right from the beginning, when God calls Abram out of uh, where, where he was living and, and then out of Egypt with the Israelites, it seems that God is saying that the entirety of Israel, all of Israel, is to be this priesthood or this holy nation. Which begs the question, what does a priest do? If all of Israel is supposed to be a priesthood, then what does a priest actually do? What, what functions do they form or, or have? What roles do they play? And if you did a little studying in the scriptures, you would find that priests do a couple of things. Certainly there are those who uh, are literal priests. There was a group of people um, called the Levites. There were 12 tribes of Israel. And the family of the Levites were the actual priests. So in terms of offering sacrifices and prayers at the temple and the daily workings of the temple, there was a group of people, the Levites, called the priests. They would offer sacrifices, they would offer prayers, they would help people worship God. But then there's this other part that God says the whole nation is to be a priesthood. So you have this group of fa- this family, this group, the Levites, they're the priests in the temple, but then there's something bigger than that. So there's like the formal designation of a family who help in the worship of the temple, and then there's this larger idea of the people of God as priests in the world. So a priest, in essence, if you boil it right down, at the end of the day, the priests represent God to the people and the people to God. The priest is an intermediary. The priest is a translator. They essentially, they're an ambassador. They represent the divine to the people and the people on the people's behalf to the divine. So on the Day of Atonement, you would come as the nation of Israel and the priests would help you as a nation offer sacrifice that would atone for the sins of the nation. So that's the function of a priest. And there's a family that does it, but then there's this bigger idea that the entire nation of Israel is to be a priest or a priesthood, a royal priesthood for the world. So what does that mean? Israel, as a whole, is supposed to, or invited to, represent God to the world. They're to be the ambassadors of this divine voice and this divine presence to the world. And then, if you know the story of Israel and you know the story of the Bible, you find that this kind of goes sideways a little bit. By the time Jesus rolls around, there's a huge divide between the priests, the family, the ones who are formally designated to help in the worship of the temple, and the rest of the people. There's power struggles, there's all kinds of weird things going on politically, and so there's this massive divide between those who are formally the priests and those who are the priests, right? The whole body, the whole nation of Israel. And then Peter, in 1 Peter, says that the church of Jesus, hearkening back to what God has already said in Exodus, is to be a priesthood of believers, a fellowship of believers for the world. So here's the point I want to make. Similarly, like Israel, I think we find ourselves in a day and an age when often this space up here is off limits to these people, right, who are usually out here. And you all don't ever come up here, and we all, the priests and the clergy, the, the people who get paid to do this, There's sort of this divide that exists between us and them, or you and me. And often, you depend on me to do things that actually we are all called to do. 
and I depend on you to do things that we are actually all invited to do and be in the world. So why is it important that we talk about this idea as the church, of, of the church as a fellowship of believers, a, royal, a priesthood of all believers? Because it seems that from the very beginning, even with Israel, and then of course with the church, God has a, a, an intent that we together, those who are formally invited to help with the worship of God's people, and those who are called as the people to be ambassadors, to be priests, if you will. So I don't know if you knew this this morning, but when you walked into the church, but you're actually, you're all, if you follow Jesus, you're priests. You perform a function in the world, and that function is to be an ambassador to the people, to the world, to be one who represents God to the people. I don't know if you knew that about yourself. So when we talk about the church as a fellowship of believers, what we want to do, what I'm trying to do, what I'm inviting us to do is to close the divide, close the gap between the people and the priests or the clergy, the professionals, the ones who go to seminary and wear collars and get paid. This is necessary? I'd like to think so. <laughs> right? That's my job. That's how I feed my family. So this is necessary on the one hand, that you have people designated to help facilitate the worship of God's people, organize ourselves for mission in the world. But to say that we, or I, am the only one responsible for evangelism, sharing my faith, giving reason for the hope that I have in Jesus, or mission, living on mission in the world, is to miss the very heart and soul of what God's people are to be in the world. Amen? So the church of Jesus is a fellowship of believers. Now, why is it important that we even talk about this, or why does this matter in the world that we live in today? I don't know if you all have seen the debates, if you can call them debates. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go just a little bit, but I'm not going to go too far for fear of losing our tax-exempt status, right? Last Sunday night, I watched whatever that was, and then I, I troll Facebook. I don't actually, like, participate. <laughs> I, only, I only leverage it because I help run an organization that can use its social platform, right? And I post from other social media platforms, in case you didn't know that. There's one called Hootsuite. Fantastic. One, one post, you can send it to all kinds of different ones, and you don't even have to go to them. It's awesome. So that's how I use Facebook. But I was trolling Facebook, and I'm reading all of these ridiculous, I'm going to say ridiculous comments about what's happening. We live in a world that is unbelievably divided. Like on every level. Any line that you can draw and divide a group of humans, we do it. And it's just exacerbated. It's like on full display in the political season. And even among the people of God. People were, you know, somebody who... who offers a thought as a believer, as a follower of Jesus, and then, like, they're brothers and sisters in Christ just attacking people back and forth on social media. Which, I mean, we could do a whole sermon series on this. Where there was once a need for civility and respect and the ability to articulate one's ideas in a thoughtful manner with another human being present, you only need to type now. 
That's all, that's all it takes, right? Which is really sad. And I would encourage you to not use that space for civil discourse as your pastor. Never a good idea. Don't do, don't do conflict resolution over text. And don't do it over email, okay? A phone call at the very least so you can hear intonation and the other, like another human on the, on the end. That's, that's, a, that's an aside. But we live in a world that's fractured, we could say, with no argument. Where the lines are drawn very deeply across these areas that the scripture actually mentions. Class, race, and gender. Uh, if you have your Bibles, turn to Galatians chapter 3. Paul talks about this in Galatians 3. And listen to what he says, starting in verse 26. So in Christ Jesus, you are the children of God through faith. For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. Therefore, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. You are one. The Bible talks about race and class and gender. And it seems that some of these divides that we find ourselves in the midst of are along these lines. One of the things that uh, the covenant talks about in this book we've been looking at, the covenant affirmations ones, it says this. These three areas of race, class, and gender are to be of no advantage or disadvantage within the body of Christ. This is a multi-ethnic, class-less, gender-equal vision. We recognize our need for ethnic diversity, for fellowship and mutual ministry across artificially constructed socioeconomic boundaries and for the gifts of leadership of men and women. Friends, why is it important to affirm the church as a fellowship of believers? Because in a fellowship, there's equality and shared, uh, uh, sh there's equality shared among its participants. As it's been said, you may have heard this, the ground is level at the foot of the cross, right? In a world divided by nearly everything that we could divide over, the New Testament offers a vision of a people who are one, who share in mutual submission one to another as the church, who do not use racial or classist or gender-based advantages to further their own agenda. This is the vision of the kingdom, people. This is the vision that Jesus offers to us to follow and to participate in. Now, do we fail at it sometimes? Absolutely. We could argue and critique the church left and right. But this is the vision. This is what God hopes for and dreams for. So why is it important to affirm a fellowship of believers? Because there is an equality and a mutual submission that should or could exist among the church in the world that does not use race, class, and gender for its own advantage. Does anybody need a little bit more of that? So I would say to you, it's absolutely essential that we understand ourselves as a fellowship of believers. So what does this mean? As I sort of try to close, what is the strength of the church as a fellowship of believers? I would say at least one, that the doors are as wide as possible. The doors are open as wide as we can, as, as wide as we can possibly get them. Again, from the Affirmations booklet, it says, it is open to all believers, talking about membership in the church, okay? It is open to all believers. We do not expect that all believers will agree on every detail of Christian belief. What is required is that one be born anew into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus, 1 Peter 1. But if membership is open to all believers, it is also only open to believers. 
The doors of the church are wide enough to admit all who believe and narrow enough to exclude those who do not. I would say that maybe a little differently. I would say they're wide enough to open, to, to uh, admit all who believe and uh, narrow enough to preserve that which is uniquely Christian. So when we're talking about membership or partnership, we have partnership class today and next week. When we talk about partnership at Awaken, it's open to any and all who affirm faith in Christ. That's classic covenant doctrine. The doors are open as wide as we can possibly get them, which I think is the nature of the gospel. That's the spirit of the gospel. Any and all, as many as we can get. The door, we even prayed it in our prayer at the beginning. There's always room for one more at this table. But it also means that we have an anchor. It also means that there, there is something in the center. It's not a ship that's adrift on the ocean. That there's something that is essential to preserve to be Christian. And we're arguing that that is the life-death teachings of Jesus the Christ, the resurrection. So there is an anchor, but there's a lot of rope. There's a lot of room to explore the sea. Right? Fundamentalism is an anchor with no rope to explore. But I would argue that what we're trying to do at Awaken and this, this, this story that we're a part of in the covenant has an anchor. It has something that's, hold, that, that's held fast, and yet there's room to explore. And I don't know about you, but I'm the kind of guy, like, if you don't give me enough rope, I start to just lose it. I go a little crazy. I need some room to explore. I need some room to ask questions. I need some room to wonder. That it's not all spelled out for me. It's all right here. This is it. There's nothing more. Really? Like, there's nothing more to know about God. That's ridiculous. Because if that's the case, then you are God. If you know everything there is to know about God, then you may as you are God. But you're not, and neither am I. So there's more. There's always more. It's always deeper. It's always further. But there's this sense that there is an anchor. I, don't, I, I, went, I, went, uh, I went sailing for the first time a couple of weeks ago uh, up on the, the Apostle Islands. And if you've never been sailing before, man, it's really, really interesting. It's so much fun. So much fun. There's one night where, you know, we sail, we race during the day, and that's all kinds of fun. And then we find a little spot to, to put all the boats in at night, and we drop these anchors. And we had a 51-foot sailboat. There were eight men on this boat. It was gigantic. It was huge. And the anchor to keep that sucker in one spot, if you've ever seen these things, they're on massive chains. They're like the size of a baseball bat, the chain. And this thing drops down. And this one particular night, we were in this bay, and we dropped this anchor, and we're all like, all right, cool, let's party, let's play cards, let's do what we do. And we're anchored in this bay, and then the winds start blowing, and they shifted. So we were no longer protected in the bay that we were in, and if you've ever been in a 51-foot-long boat that's on top of like six, five, six-foot rollers trying to sleep at night, I had to take Dramamine at like three in the morning, so I, I didn't lose it. But here's the thing. There was a sense of faith, trust, comfort in the fact that there was an anchor, a gigantic anchor that had been buried in the beaches that was going to hold us. That we need not fear that we would be blown off into the rocks or into another boat or off to Wisconsin, God forbid. But it held. 
And we were safe. So I want to suggest that part of this, for us as the covenant, is that there's an anchor. There's a center. They talk about the covenant church holds that there is one indispensable ministry, the one of Jesus Christ. So the doors are open as wide as we can get them as the fellowship of believers. And there's a center, there's an anchor. And lastly, I would say this, and maybe most importantly, I want to offer you this this morning. To say that the church is a fellowship of believers is to recognize that you have a role. Every single one of you in this room this morning, you have a role and a voice and a job, an invitation that God has given That there isn't a group of people who do the work and you come and consume and participate and leave. That's antithetical. That's very American, but it's not very gospel. That we, you, all have a role. Now, I say that with this small caveat. For some reason, Awaken has become a place and is a place where many of you have come. And actually, today is difficult for you because you've... You love those back pews back there because you, you can just take a couple of deep breaths and you can rest and you can heal from wherever it is that you've come and whatever it is that you've experienced. And we want to preserve that. I want to say that that's okay. You're free. You're, you're invited to do so. But if you would, just for a moment, if you'd trust me, I'd love for you to just close your eyes for just a second Everybody, right where you are, close your eyes. And I want you to pay very, very close attention to what happens in the next 30 seconds. Right now, you should all be exhaling. You should all be inhaling. Your heart is beating. That's called an autonomic response of the body. It just happens. You're breathing. You're breathing out, and you're breathing in. Exhale. Inhale. Open your eyes, if you would. That's called being alive. You have to breathe out And you have to breathe in to be healthy, to stay alive. That's part of how it works. If you only breathed in and kept inhaling, you would die. It's a physical promise. Like, it just, that's the way it works. Science. At some point, you have to exhale. And I would suggest to you, this is what faith should feel like. This is what being a part of the body of Christ should feel like. That there are moments and there are seasons when you have to take a deep breath in. That you might be filled up so that you can exhale. So that you can be poured out. This is exactly what Jesus does. This is Jesus' life for us. Jesus is poured into by the Spirit and by the Father so that he can be poured out in service of restoration and redemption in the world. And then Jesus says, follow me. Come and follow me. This is what faith should feel like. You breathe in, you receive, you heal, you grow, so that you can be poured out. 
And if it is only and always breathing in, and this is all it ever is, then we have failed you. I have failed you. And so I want to invite you this morning to consider the possibility that you have a role. That you have something in your hands that God has uniquely gifted you to do something in the world in partnership with God. Now you might be thinking, well, that's got to be something for the church. And I would say, no, it doesn't. Maybe you're a mom right now. And that's what God has uniquely gifted you to do and called you to do as a mom right now. Maybe you're a teacher. Maybe you're a landscaper. Maybe you work spreadsheets like nobody's business. You have something in your hands, and it's connected to who you are as a person. It's connected to your passions and your gifts and what lights your fire, what trips your trigger. The invitation is to consider that thing, those things, as a response to the invitation of God to partner with him for the ongoing work of restoration in the world. So what is it that you do? What is it that trips your trigger? What is it that lights you up? And is it possible that that thing could be used in service of or in partnership with God in the ongoing work of restoration and redemption in the world? We are a fellowship of believers. Do you guys remember the Lord of the Rings? Halflings, dwarves, humans, wizards, right? All with one common bond to get that ring into Mordor where it was cast. The church of Jesus Christ with one common bond that Jesus Christ has died and has been resurrected for the redemption of the world. Come on, people, let's get to work. So this is my invitation to you this morning to be reminded of the fact that we are a body. Me, you, Jenna, right? We together have been called Invited by the divine to do something, to participate in something bigger than us, a story that's worth writing down. And you, you have a role. You have a job. Maybe you own a business. What would it mean to run that business in a way that reflects the nature of the kingdom of God, where there is no advantage used by class, gender, or race? It can all, it's all spiritual, friends, if you have eyes to see it. So here's what I want to do this morning. I want to offer a a moment of silence for us, and I want to invite you to consider a couple of things. As we move into this time of silence, what is in your hands? What is yours? What's been uniquely given to you? What are the barriers for you to investing that in the kingdom? And are you full? Is it a season to inhale or is it a season to exhale? Only you can answer that, but it's got to be both. So pray with me. God, as we take just a moment of silence to consider these things, what's in our hands? What are the barriers for me to investing them fully? And are we full? Is there a place from which we have drawn that we can now be poured out for? So if you would, take a moment of silence and hear God's spirit, whatever it might say. I want to send you with a reminder of a passage you may be familiar with. It's from John 17. 
where Jesus is having a conversation with the Father and he says this about you all. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That all of them may be one. Father, just as you and I You are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I've given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you have sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. Grace and peace, my friends. Be the church wherever you find yourself, a fellowship of believers. Amen? All right. Find us online at www.awakeningcommunity.com or on Facebook at www.facebook.com backslash Awakening Community or on Twitter at Awakening Community. See you next time.